From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Yes, it's starting to feel a bit like a broken record, but as we near the end of 2020, COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in North Texas are as high as they've been at any point during the pandemic. And the top elected officials in the area's two largest counties are asking residents to limit holiday gatherings. We also look ahead to 2021. That means the start of a new legislative session for Texas lawmakers that presents new challenges, logistically and politically, in the midst of a coronavirus surge. And we talk a little bit about the Electoral College. What happens next, and what are the motivations behind Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's lawsuit? This week, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers talked to Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley, Dallas Morning News reporter James Berrigan, who covers the Texas legislature, and political science professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, Dr. Robert Lowry. First, a quick housekeeping note. We'll have a year-in-review episode that we release next Sunday, December 27th, before we miss a week for the new year. We'll be back the following week, just in time for the start of the legislature. In Dallas County, health officials are seeing an average of 63 new daily COVID-19 cases per 100,000 residents, the highest case rate since the pandemic began. Officials also said the number of coronavirus patients in the county hospitals is reaching a point that could soon exhaust the system. With the numbers where they are, Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins on Friday urged residents to take precautions. As we said prior to Thanksgiving, um, we recognize it can be hard to change these traditions, but the facts are clear to the doctors that we need to not um, celebrate our holidays with, uh, with um, guests coming to our home. We need to try to keep those celebrations down to the people that we live with. And because we don't want COVID to be an uninvited guest this holiday. On the other side of the Metroplex, Tarrant County has experienced a significant and sustained increase in cases since early November. It's averaged more than 1,200 new COVID-19 cases per day over the last two weeks, leading to coronavirus patients accounting for nearly a quarter of all occupied hospital beds in the county. But some Tarrant County hospitals received their first shipments of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine last week, with more on the way to additional sites. Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley joins Julian Gromer to discuss how the county is preparing for another potential spike in cases after the holidays and when the average resident might be able to receive a vaccine. Thanks so much for being here, Judge. You bet, Julie. Good morning to you and Gromer. Well, you've seen a big increase in cases in the past few weeks, and this is before people get together for the Christmas and New Year's holidays. What are you preparing for? Well, again, what we've said all along was that we're going to watch the hospitals and we're going to listen to their CEOs and tell us how they're doing. And they keep assuring us that they have the available beds, uh, that they can take care of the folks and that we're not in any danger of having to close our hospitals down. So not only can we take care of our COVID patients, but also anybody who has uh, a hospital need or for any other sort of emergency. Well, given the rise in cases, is there something about the message that, that you're given that's not getting through? How do you make it stick, especially in such a critical time? You know, Gromer, the, I guess the frustrating part of this whole process has been that for some reason, people have decided they're going to make these masks a political issue. And that's uh, it's so frustrating because I really believe that if people would just do as, as the doctor just said, if they'd wear the mask, if they'd social distance, wash your hands, just be careful out there that uh, we could 
could maybe curb this or flatten it out and not see the spikes that we've seen after each holiday. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but hospital beds are closer to capacity than they have been during this crisis. Are you confident you will be able to accommodate all your patients, especially if there's another rise in cases? Julie, I really believe that we will be able to do that again. I talk with the hospital execs, the CEOs, at least once a week. Uh, they have continued to assure me that uh, they've got the staff and the available beds to be able to handle this. And, you know, I think what I would still say, though, is let's not relax. Let's not let down our guard just because the vaccines are here, uh, because we, you know, they're tired. They are tired. They've been working extremely hard since since March, and we don't need to, you know, we need to give them some help. Judge, it's a question we hear frequently now that the vaccines are here. Do you have any idea how long it will take before any Texan who wants a vaccine can get one? You know, Gromer, I hope that it's uh, sometime in late April, maybe early May. Uh, I've seen this week with the vaccines here that the talk has begun to be a little bit more positive. You know, we've heard a lot about the vaccines, but finally people are getting the vaccine. And I think that's uh, that's a real uplift to the people and their spirits because now they can maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Judge, do you plan to get that vaccine? The minute I can. If somebody calls me and tells me I'm next in line, there better not be anybody between me and the end of that line. <laughs> uh, you don't mind getting, getting stuck with a needle for this, right? Not one bit. I'm ready to, to go at, the, at a moment's call. Judge, uh, the Texas legislature convenes in January. As a, as a local authority, what do you need from, from the legislature this session? Or maybe I should ask, what don't you need from the legislature this session? Well, I'm afraid that they're going to continue their assault on local control. You know, Texas is a huge state, 254 counties, thousands of cities and towns. We've got over 28 million people. And I really believe I've always been a strong advocate for local control. And I hope that they will allow elected officials to do their jobs at their respective levels. You know, the, the wants and needs of citizens in Azle is not the same as Arlington. Tarrant County is not the same as Travis County. And at the same level, Texas is not the same as Tennessee. So they just need to let elected officials do what they, you know, what they think is best for their citizens. The other thing I think we're going to see once again is a lot of talk around property taxes. But I tell you, I don't believe that the legislature will do anything um, just as they've not in the past to significantly lower our property tax. They may, you know, try to curb the growth a little bit, but Texas ranks 13th highest when it comes to property taxes. If the state government, if the state would just fund public education, we drop from 13th to 42nd. And our tax bills, our property tax bills would be cut in half. So I'm not looking for something that just curbs the growth. I want them to do something that will cut that property tax bill. If it cuts it in half, I'll be real happy. And I think everybody else would be too. Is there anything related to, to COVID relief that you need from the legislature? And what about transportation, education, healthcare, and other issues like that? You know, all of those issues are extremely important with, from the COVID standpoint. Uh, we have had great support from local, state, and federal officials as far as the testing. Um, you know, TDAM, Texas Department of Emergency Management, has done a fantastic job 
of helping us in that regard. Uh, education, you know, that's kind of getting out of my lane, and I believe, very, as I've said before, we believe very much in local control, but we need the kids back in school, and we need the schools to tell us how they're going to catch those kids up for, the, for all intents and purposes the years they've missed. Transportation continues to be a big issue. Our state is growing very rapidly. We have got to continue to expand our transportation. Tarrant County Judge Glenn Whitley, thank you so much for joining us. Y'all have a great holiday. Yeah, you Judge, as well. And Judge, hopefully we'll, we'll get to go see a ball game out in Arlington pretty soon. I am ready to do that. I'll, I'll guarantee you. I want to see it, and I want to see it with the stadium full. And hopefully we can have you in the studio as well. Right, and in the meantime, I got to say it, wear your mask, wash your hands, social distance. The light is at the end of the tunnel. We can't relax, though, until we get that vaccine widespread. Thank you all both. The 87th Texas Legislature is scheduled to begin the second week in January, and the State House will be under new leadership. Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont, is expected to become the next Speaker of the House and will have a number of pressing issues to confront right out of the gate, including passing a budget, dealing with COVID-19, redistricting, and figuring out how to operate the chamber in the midst of a pandemic. James Berrigan covers the Texas Legislature for the Dallas Morning News and joins Julian Gromer to discuss. Thanks so much for being here, James. Hey, good to be here with you guys. How are lawmakers approaching passing a budget in the wake of the pandemic? Well, I think they're feeling a little bit better than they initially felt, uh, say, before the elections, because uh, State Comptroller Glenn Hagar uh, said that the, the state's coffers are actually doing a little bit better than expected um, after the pandemic, um, and, well, going into next session. And then I think they're also expecting um, some money to come in from the federal government to help um, patch things uh, that were problematic uh, this year. And so I think they're feeling a little bit better about their uh, budget next session, but there's no doubt that there's still going to be potential to public services and that there's going to be, you know, some, some, some fighting in Austin about where those dollars are going to go. And James, probably a discussion about whether to tap into the rainy day fund, right? How do you see that going? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, there, there will be probably uh, a use of the rainy day fund. Uh, the question is just how much of that uh, fund uh, lawmakers want to use. They did dip into that last time around to pass that landmark uh, school finance reform uh, legislation. And so the question is how much, um, how much you know, uh, of an urge is there to use that again? And I think especially, again, mentioning those federal dollars that uh, we think are going to come into the state uh, of aid to, to sort of patch us through this, this financial year. I think that will play a, a role in this as well. How do you see the relationship between Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, and Dade Phelan, the representative and the likely new speaker? That's one of the most interesting questions, I think, heading into the next session. Uh, we do have a, a new presumptive speaker, Dade Phelan, representative from Beaumont. Uh, he's a conservative Republican, you know, traditional classic Republican, I would say. I think from looking at it from the outside, he definitely looks more aligned with Governor Abbott. Um, and so the question is, are we going to have another session where the Speaker of the House and the governor sort of, um, you know, align together um, and push their priorities over, 
Lieutenant Governor Patrick's more uh, right-wing policies from his right wing of the party? I think that's going to be one of the key questions going into the session. And, and we already see some Republican lawmakers are introducing bills about voter fraud and election fraud and that sort of thing, which isn't really a big problem here in Texas. Uh, I, the goal, I guess, for the big three, Patrick notwithstanding, is to keep people, you know, their eyes on the prize, right? Yeah, but I mean, definitely what you're talking about. You know, I've talked to some conservative grassroots activists who are saying Texas is much better off when Dan Patrick is in the lead, when he's pushing those uh, Republican Party of Texas priorities. Now, we know that there's a disconnect between the grassroots and the Republican officials that are actually in office and the things that they want to get done. Um, but definitely, you know, we're hearing talk about some of those red meat issues, voter fraud, um, uh, you know, abortion, strict abortion issues. Um, and I think those are going to get thrown out. I think um, how much is going to get done in the session is going to be dependent on how much political capital uh, people want to spend on these uh, when they're going to have to cut each other up on other issues like the budget and like COVID. James, we know this session is going to be different because of the pandemic. What are lawmakers looking at in terms of meeting at the Capitol? And how do you think the public will be able to participate? That's another great question that we're looking into right now. Um, obviously, we want the public to have access. We want the press to have access. Um, right now, we're looking at a significantly altered session, I, th I think. Um, we see that on the first day when it's usually a big public affair and people's families are there for them to get inducted into office, um, th there's a big party, you know. And this time around, we're not going to have that. There's going to be mass required. There's going to be limited capacity. Uh, in, in the chambers and in the Capitol building. And they're still trying to sort that out. But I think there's no question that there's going to be less access both to the public, to the press, to the lobby, potentially. And that raises really interesting questions about who gets what access to these lawmakers. Um, the public, uh, by and large, you know, is probably the least of the stakeholders um, in, in terms of how much access they can get. We in the press have some access because we have some of these people's cell phone numbers. We have some of their office numbers. We know their staffers. The lobbyists have even closer ties, I would say, because they have those cell phones and they actually give money to these lawmakers. So they're going to be more likely to pick up their calls. So I think it's going to bring up interesting questions about public access to the Capitol and what that means for, you know, the sausage making in Austin. James, I know um, you're all over the redistricting issue. This is a redistricting session. It may come at the end or in a special session because we're waiting on census numbers. But tell me, how do you expect that to play out? Will it be contentious as usual? Well, I think what you're going to hear from everybody is that's going to be a fair and respectable process. And I think that's probably a load of baloney, you know. This is this is politics, and it's Texas politics, which is a full-contact sport. The winning party is the Republican Party, and so they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that for the next 10 years, they have uh, an embedded advantage. And that's unfortunate for Democrats, but that's the way uh, things are going to be. I do think that the redistricting is going to happen probably later in the session, probably in a special session. And that could play either to the Republicans' advantage or not. You know, you don't want to tie up other pieces of legislation that the Democrats can hold up if you don't give them, uh, you know, an inch on redistricting. So that might be for a later session where Republicans see that, hey, we're only de dealing with, with redistricting. But so for some people in swing districts, I think those are going to be the people that are hurting, potentially some people in, in Dallas-Fort Worth.
James Berrigan with the Dallas Morning News. Thanks for being here. We miss seeing you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Soon we'll, we'll all be together. The Electoral College last week affirmed Joe Biden's win in the November election. So what happens next? Dr. Robert Lowry, a political science professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, explains that even if Republicans challenge the vote, their options are limited. Let's start with what happens January 6th in Congress once since the Electoral College has already voted. Right. So uh, Congress meets and they formally open the votes. You have to remember this process was set up uh, originally by the 12th Amendment in like 1790, no, 1803 or something like that. So long before they would have learned the results by TV and radio. Uh, but so the way the process works is they just, they literally just count the votes. They open the envelopes or whatever they're in, uh, in a joint session and they count the votes. And normally that's all there is to it. And it takes a short amount of time and everybody does something else. There's all this talk about um, with Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama, and if a senator gets involved, can you sort of break down how this all works? Members of Congress can challenge the Electoral College votes from any state, but it takes a challenge from at least one senator and at least one member of the House. And if that happens, then they split up again. So again, they start in a joint session. But if there's a challenge from one senator and one representative, then they each go back to their respective chambers and they debate and there's time limits on the debate so this can't go on forever uh but then each chamber has to vote um and it, in order for the objection to be sustained both the senate and the house have to vote to sustain the objection so it's, it's a very high hurdle that makes any kind of shenanigans being successful kind of remote right Yes, given that the Democrats control the House, right, and even then, I think there's probably a few Republicans that would would say, you know, we've had enough. Biden won. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna drag this out any further. How long do you suspect Republicans will continue to try to appease or mollify Trump after he's out of office? I guess it depends on what kind of sway he still has in the party. But what do you think? That's a really good question. Um, and it's not per se, it's the Trump voters. Right. Like, I think the question is what positions are they going to feel they need to take, they being the Republicans, a Republican candidates, what positions will they feel they need to take to win the primary in 2022? And that's, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some districts and probably some states where they'll still be making these arguments. But, you know, I don't know how many. A number of Republicans signed on to support Attorney General Ken Paxton's lawsuit, which was not heard by the Supreme Court. Right. What happens next? Like, do you think this affects them moving forward with the Democratic administration coming in? Um, it might. And this is going to be an ongoing issue for the Democrats, uh, at least as long as for the Republicans, is, is to what extent... Do they try to, you know, sort of settle scores or punish the Republicans who did this kind of thing? And to what extent do they say, we want to make deals with whoever will deal with us in order to get legislation passed or in order to get our nominees confirmed? 
and they've got some of the same same issue because in the primaries in 2022 there's going to be a wing of the democratic party that says you know you should have really gone after these people if they don't or if they do i'm there are many things, you know, lots of things Nancy Pelosi could do that are quite subtle, you know, in terms of showing more favor to Republicans who did not sign on to the lawsuit than those who did. But in terms of any sort of public rebuke, again, that's it's a calculation they're going to have to make as to do they sort of throw red meat to their base or do they try to swallow their their own anger or whatever it is, and, and just deal with the other side. So, Professor, Paxson had to know that uh, he probably wouldn't prevail with the lawsuit. I suspect there were other motivations at play uh, for him uh, taking that path. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I find it hard to believe that he thought he had any real chance of winning. Um, he himself characterize it as a Hail Mary, and I don't know if he's even that good. <laughs> right. I mean, Hail Marys occur within the time frame of the game, you know? Uh, but, um, so he may have been, again, he may have that I've seen some speculation, he's thinking of running for governor, although it seems to me if Abbott wants to run again, it'd be awfully hard to challenge him. Uh, but in general, he may have been just trying to raise his profile generally. Um, again, you know, do everything he could to appeal to the Republican base in Texas and saying, look, I, I went the last mile uh, and it didn't work, but clearly I'm, I'm your guy. I'm the guy who represents what you want. Was it Ben Sass who said it sounds like somebody angling for a pardon? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that seems maybe a little far-fetched, but who knows? I mean, he's obviously not gonna announce it if that's what he was doing. Uh, and we know, one thing we know about Donald Trump is, is you know, if you want to get something from him, appealing to him personally and showing that you're loyal, you know, is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and he can raise money also, right, if he needs to, like for a defense fund. Uh, you know, Trump supporters are mindful that he was there for the president. I may be willing to give. Yeah, I mean, I think, he, you know, on the one hand, he, he probably knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. On the other hand, from his perspective, it was, you know, relatively low cost thing to do that right. is going to uh, raise his profile or at least keep it where it is among the real hardcore Trump supporters. Dr. Lowry, thanks for being with us. We hope you have a great holiday and you have a happy new year. Thanks to Judge Glenn Whitley, James Berrigan and Dr. Robert Lowry for joining us this week. You can stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you next week.